You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's Premier League clash with Brentford at Emirates Stadium, scheduled to take place tomorrow, Saturday, 3pm. Huge, huge game for both sides for very, very different reasons. Arsenal, of course, pursuing a place in the top four. Brentford looking to secure Premier League survival. And of course, there's a bit of needle to this one after the way Brentford dismantled us in the opening weekend of the season. So lots and lots to get into, lots to discuss. We'll be bringing you the latest team news. According to Mikel Arteta, I'll be sharing with you guys the 11 I'd like to see play. We'll be talking a little bit about the tactical side of the game and how things have moved on for Arsenal since that opening weekend of the season defeat. And of course, we'll be taking your questions from the live chat box. Hope everybody's well. Hope everybody uh, is good. If you're in the UK, uh, hope you're well. Hope you're coping with the winds and they are crazy. I mean, I woke up this morning and I had a couple of places that I needed to go to uh, and a couple of things that I needed to do. And I was very much of the opinion, well, how bad can it be? It's just a bit of wind. And uh, I left the house and my God, I was basically blown to my car. I got in the car. I was driving uh, down uh, quite a a big road. I was doing about 40, 50 miles an hour and the car was going like this. You know, you could really feel it pulling either way. Um, Unfortunately, I came home and one of my fence panels has uh, come off. Thankfully, it's not broken, so I can slot it back in. I'd imagine I I tried to do it and almost got blown uh, (laughs) out into the alleyway uh, by the wind. So I decided to put it down and went, nope, I'll, I'll deal with that later. Uh, Not worth chancing it now, but hope everyone's well. Hope everyone's uh, staying safe because it is, uh, you know, I know, look, I know that people in in various other parts of the world have dealt with much bigger kind of storms than this. And this is tame in comparison to some of those. But this is England, right? The country falls apart when there's a bit of adverse weather. We've all uh, come to learn that over recent years. I hope everyone's staying safe and hope that you haven't been disrupted too much in terms of travel plans etc etc we've had a game in the championship this evening between Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest already called off that one's been uh, postponed because of course uh, the wind and the storm has done some damage to Bournemouth Stadium which poses a a safety risk uh, to those of course who would have been in attendance so that one is off Uh, there's been a couple of other games in the lower leagues that have fallen casualty to the weather but I'm not envisaging Arsenal's game uh, being postponed, to be honest. So uh, I don't think it may be famous last words that we'll have any problem there. Look, the conditions are not ideal, not for travelling, not for anything, but they're certainly not ideal for football. And I do worry about the impact that this might have if these wins don't die down a little bit uh, in the game between Arsenal and Brentford. Now, look, I'm not saying that Arsenal are a long ball team and particularly enjoy putting the ball in the air and that it will really impact their game. But it does have an impact. It does have an effect. And we know that Brentford can be very, very direct. We experienced it. We saw it uh, firsthand 
on the uh, opening weekend of the season. And, you know, you wonder how much more difficult it could be for the likes of Aaron Ramsdale and the centre-backs, etc., to cope with that kind of aerial onslaught if they have to uh, deal with the winds as well. You know, the winds make it very unpredictable. You can feel like you're positioned in the right place to win a ball. You could feel like you've got something sussed and all of a sudden the wind uh, can have an impact. Balls can get caught up in the air. They can accelerate in terms of their direction. There's so much that can happen that, Look, I'm not saying it's going to decide the game. And, and obviously, both teams have to deal with these conditions. But it is an ideal uh, ideal weather to play football in, that's for sure. Mikel Arteta has been speaking to the media, of course, ahead of this game. And he revealed that tacky hero Tommy Asu is available to use. Uh, he said, we can use him. He did struggle a little bit. He's not 100%. It's not perfect, is, is what he was saying, kind of reading between the lines but that he is available to use. And I just wonder if Mikel Arteta is going to feel like he can get by with Cedric at right back, um, uh, you know, in this fixture. And I wonder if he'll be willing to take the risk, uh, you know, that obviously comes with throwing Takahiro Tomiyasu back into a game like this. It's, it's a really tough one to call because, you know, you look at this fixture and, and it's one of huge significance and one of huge importance. And of course, we've talked a lot throughout the season about Arsenal winning the games that they should be winning. And this is certainly a game that we should be winning, a team that are going to be undoubtedly dragged into the relegation fight um, at home in front of our fans. It's a game that we should definitely uh, take all three points from. When we went back to the Burnley game, you know, I said it at the time, I said it was a game that you really ought to be winning. And we were lucky that the results around us and the results involving the other teams made it not a disaster that we didn't win it. But we don't want to look back at the end of the season and say we missed out on Champions League football because of games like Burnley at home and Brentford at home. So there's a real pressure on Arsenal to get something out of this game. And although I mentioned that for Brentford, this has big implications too. Brentford, of course, looking to pull away from the drop zone. You do feel like it's a bit of a free hit for Thomas Frank's side. You know, you go away to one of the traditional big six. Nobody really expects you to do all that much. And I think that that's obviously an advantage that Brentford have. Now, going back to that meeting earlier on in the season, and I do want to just reflect on it briefly. I know a lot has changed and I know a lot has moved on since then, but I do think it is worth um, just having a quick chat about because if you look at the Arsenal team that played that day and you compare it to the team that we expect will probably play tomorrow, it's very, very different. Burn Leno was in goal. Uh, it was a back four of Chambers, White, Marie and Tierney. So half of the back four was missing. Uh, you moved into midfield. There was no Thomas Partey, of course. It was Sambi Laconga alongside Granit Xhaka. Pepe was playing from the right. Martinelli was playing from the left, neither of whom I expect to be uh, playing tomorrow or at least starting in Pepe's case. Martinelli, of course, suspended off the back of that red card. Uh, Smith Rowe was playing in the 10, so there was no Martin Odegaard available to us. And of course, we were hit by that COVID issue at the time, and we were forced to start the game with following Balogun up top. So this is going to be a very different Arsenal side that takes to the field. And, and it's a side that I much prefer. And it's a side that gives me far more confidence than that one ever did. Um, and of course, you know, you've, you know, we can talk a lot about the need for revenge and that, that it adds a little bit of spice and a little bit of needle to this fixture. But at the end of the day, this is a, an Arsenal in a very different place. And it's a Brentford 
in a very different place as well. You know, if we have a quick uh, glance at the Premier League table going into this one, you're looking at an Arsenal side who are in the running for the top four, who currently sit in sixth place, just four points behind Manchester United, who have played three fixtures more than us. But if you look at Brentford, they're in 14th. And on the surface, that doesn't look all that bad. But they're only seven points clear of Norwich. And they've played a game more than Norwich. They've played two games more than Watford. They've played four games more than Burnley. They've played uh, three games more than Everton in 16th, two games more than Leeds in 15th. So for Brentford, you know, this is, um, although I wouldn't say that they're one of the favourites to go down right now, given that they are largely a championship quality side and the fact that they are on this awful run of form and the fact that they, uh, you know, could quite easily get sucked in. You've got to say that, that they are a team in the relegation fight. And, and if somebody told me now that Brentford were definitely going to get relegated, I'd look at that and I'd go, well, OK, you know, I'm not too surprised by that. I'm not too shocked by that. So I think Brentford have, you know, have issues of their own. And I think for me, it's really, really important that uh, we make sure we go out there and do a professional job and, and make sure that we go out there, play our game, play to the best of our ability and and get over the line. You know, it's 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 so key. I think we kind of need that confidence boost a little bit as well. I know the Wolves win gave us a confidence boost in a lot of ways because we beat a side that we're in direct competition with. And of course, uh, we did it by keeping a clean sheet, even with 10 men at the end, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, I feel like, Arsenal were on this shitty run in January. We came out the back of that and we won that game at Wolves and everybody was really positive uh, moving on from that. But we need the type of performance now, I feel, that really kind of quietens a lot of people down. I've heard people talking about Arsenal over the last few days and saying, well, actually, the reason Arsenal are in the driving seat right now in a lot of people's minds is because they haven't played and they haven't showed us how shitty they can be. They haven't shown us how inconsistent they can be. And look, I said it at the time. I said that for me, I, I couldn't handle my heart, sit there and say that Arsenal were the favourites for the top four now because I know in my heart of hearts and deep down when I think about it and if I think about it pragmatically and I try and take off uh, my Arsenal hat, that we are just as capable, just as capable of, of producing those abject performances that we've seen from Manchester United, that we've seen from Tottenham, that we've seen from West Ham United at times. We are just as capable of of self-destructing the way those clubs have shown themselves to do in recent weeks. So I'm not, I'm not getting carried away. I think the door is open for us. I think there's an opportunity for us. I just really think that, okay, a win is the, the, the crux of what we need tomorrow. A win is the be all and end all above anything else. But if we could turn in a convincing win and a convincing performance, I think that would go a long way in, although it's against Brentford at home, in, in getting people to think, well, you know what, this Arsenal team are improving. They are going in the right direction. And therefore, uh, the idea of them finishing in the top four is not such a crazy one. So let's see. OK, um, let's uh, move on to the team that I would like to see uh, Mikel Arteta pick for this fixture. Now, I've, I think 
overall, it pretty much picks itself. You know, we've we've said that a lot this season that we're in a place now where we kind of understand a little bit more about what it is that Mikel Arteta wants, a little bit more about how Mikel Arteta sees things. Ramsdale will be the goalkeeper, no doubt, despite uh, Bern Leno returning to the squad. He, of course, was struck by COVID-19. He is back fit and available now, according to Mikel Arteta. He didn't have many symptoms and was feeling good. Uh, of course, across the back line, I expect it to be Kieran Tierney at left back, Gabriel and White as the centre back partnership. And then I've put Tommy Asu in at right back, OK, because I think that this is a game, as I keep saying, it's a game that we really need to win. And I think because of the way Brentford play, and I'm going to come on to this when we talk a little bit more about the, the tactical side of it, I think that we kind of need Tommy Asu. I really, really do. And I'll come on to explain that uh, a little bit more uh, in a moment. But I, so I've put Tommy Asu in there. Look, if he's 80%, 85%, um, then I think he, he should play. But I'm also not in a position where I can tell you uh, just how fit he is. I can't tell you much about his condition other than what Mikel Arteta has said. And so I appreciate that if he's not in the team, it will be probably for good reason. In midfield, I want to see Partey and Xhaka uh, play in that double defensive midfield pivot with Odegaard just in front of them. Saka from the right, Lacazette through the middle. There's been some debate around whether the suspension of Gabriel Martinelli opens a door for Nicola Pepe to come back into the side. Not for me. I think Emil Smith-Rowe uh, needs to come back into the side. He's our top scorer this season in all competitions thus far. And I think that we could do with him being back in the starting 11. I think he could do with being back in the starting 11. But again, similarly to the reason that I've put Tommy Asu in there, despite concerns over his availability and fitness, uh, there are tactical reasons why I feel he'd be uh, the perfect fit or a better fit for this particular fixture. So if we cast our minds back to... You know, and again, I'm going to go back to that game where we were uh, we were beaten at Brentford earlier on in the season. In fact, instead of doing that, um, I'm going to go to their last fixture and we'll just have a quick look at how they lined up and how, uh, of course, uh, you know, that went. And, and, uh, and we'll try and I'll try. I'll use that basically to explain to you guys the points that I want to make. So, look, the last game that they played was, of course, uh, a nil-nil draw with Crystal Palace. But if I take you to this page here, and I'll just share the screen with you guys in just a moment. Uh, where is it? Here we go. Bear with me. If you're listening on the audio, you're thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Um, right. So if you look back at the way they lined up when they played Crystal Palace last weekend, um, it was it was the same system and the same uh, kind of setup that we saw when they beat us earlier on in the season. It was a back three um, with the two wing backs and then, of course, a three-man midfield with two players up top. Now, I think we, as a team in general, under Mikel Arteta, have often struggled to cope with teams that play with three at the back. I think that at Wolves, we just saw signs that Mikel Arteta's maybe learnt a little bit about how best to attack or a you know, not attack, but uh, to tackle teams who play this way. I think we saw it done in a much more effective way up at Wolves, and I'm hoping that that can continue here. But one of the reasons I've gone with Takiro Tomiyasu is because when you play with two centre-forwards the way Brentford do, and you're as direct as Brentford can be, and they don't play like that all the time, but they obviously suss that as an issue for us and a, re and a way to get at us. 
when we met earlier in the season. There will be long balls up to Embuemo, up to Vissa, up to Tony, whoever it is that plays up top. And what was happening in that game over and over again, and, and, and I'd, I'd imagine that this is what I said on the post-match podcast off the back of that game. I'd have to go back and listen to it again. But I, I certainly remember one bit after the game where we were tactically breaking it down. And I said, the problem with defending against a team like that is your two centre-halves who you so often end up having one spare, which gives you that bit of insurance policy, are both occupied. They both end up occupied by two strikers. And then when that ball bounces, when that second ball lands in a in a dangerous attacking area, you're then relying on your midfield to be quicker in picking those loose balls up, to be quicker in getting into a position that they can protect from than the opposing player, who is obviously getting up close to the centre-forwards um, of Brentford in order to try and pick up some of those knockdowns and try and cause you problems. So... I think one of the issues that we had, and I said it after the game, was that I didn't feel that Ben White got an awful lot of protection that day. Now, Ben White, he's got a good record in terms of aerial duels and in terms of the percentage of them he wins. If you look at the stats, if you're a stat head and you want to go into that, then you'll find that in terms of aerial duels, he comes out on top most times. But that day in particular, he really struggled. He really struggled. And I felt like what Arsenal probably needed to do was tuck Takahiro Tomiyasu just a little bit further infield, just to be closer to him so that one of them could challenge for the long ball with the striker, while the other could try and be alert and be a bit of a sweeper and on hand to clear up any loose balls. I thought that that was something that we were really missing. And one of the reasons I praised the victory at Burnley a few weeks after that was because I thought, again, you know, we'd learned a lesson, we'd seen that, and noticeably Tommy Asu was tucked in closer uh, to Ben White and helped him out in a lot of those instances. And again, we were playing against a side who play with two forwards in Burnley that day. So I think we we probably have learned some lessons since then. I think we've learned a lot of lessons uh, since then. So I'm really kind of keen to see if we're going to cope with it or, or, or kind of deal with it, approach it in a slightly different way. So yeah, that's one of the reasons uh, that behind my selection. That's why I'd, I'd play Tommy Asu if he's fit enough. Um, obviously, you don't want to take major risks with the fitness of a player like that, a player who's of, of huge importance and a player for whom we don't really have great cover in Cedric, if we're being completely honest. So I think if he's fit enough, I think he should play for those reasons. If he's not, though, then, you know, it's not even a discussion, right? You, you leave him out and you wait until he's fully recovered from the problem that's kept him out for quite some time now. Um, I also talked about Emil Smith-Rowe, and I talked about the fact that I think it's going to be important that Emil Smith-Rowe plays from that left-hand side. I think what the other issue that we have when we play against a back three is, on paper, it looks like a back three, okay? More often than not, it looks like a back three. If I just, um, I'm assuming that Brentford might, I don't know, wear yellow tomorrow. Let's just pop a back three uh, on the screen for demonstration purposes um, so that I can show you guys w what it is that I'm talking about. While you're just briefly waiting for me to do that, if you haven't hit the like button, what on earth are you waiting for? Please do hit that like button. It really, really does help. So anyway, going back to the the, the actual content, what you see is you see a back three that when they're in possession will often spread out quite a bit with the two uh, or the right-sided centre-half and the left-sided centre-half, uh, you know, pulling out wide, 
giving a passing option to their goalkeeper and central defensive colleague. That then leads to the wing-backs being able to push on uh, quite a bit up the pitch. What Arsenal will need to do, though, is is really, I think, expose a very particular area of spaces. Now, what you often see when you're in possession, I've talked about the shape that these guys would take up when on the ball, is, you know, you see them basically spreading out, creating those spaces and being able to progress the ball forward. But when they're without the ball, you very quickly see teams like Brentford revert back to something more like this, which is a flat back five. And that can often be very, very difficult to break down. Now, you don't break down a back five by going on the outside of people and putting crosses into the penalty area. Why? Because you've got three centre-halves all parallel to one another with maybe one dropping off slightly who have time to readjust, to shape their bodies, to see the cross coming in. And more often than not, they'll outnumber the centre-forward and they'll clear it. And we know that in our Uh, armory we don't necessarily have a center forward who's incredibly powerful in the air who will challenge those centers for me it's all about exposing the half spaces against a defense like this and i've talked about this on many occasions before these areas here not the the wide areas the the areas in between these are the areas that are so so important and i've just highlighted it on the left hand side of the pitch because what that you do in those areas is you come in from an outside position, you commit the wing back fullback who's tucking uh, or who's dropping that bit deeper to make up the back five. Once you beat them and you enter into this half space here, what you're then doing is you're then forcing the centre half to commit. You're forcing him to come and engage you. And if you can beat him, you're in. If you don't beat him, though, you're pulling apart that solid, tight defensive unit that Brentford rely upon to try and uh, and you know and keep things tight you know you, th- that's what brentford want to do they want to keep things tight they want to stay as close to one another as possible that's the strength of a back 3 or that's where the strength in a back 3 lays they'll want to do everything they can to stop you pulling them apart so you need players like emil smith rowe who are quite happy to receive the ball right out on the touchline And obviously being a right footer, playing on the left means that you can receive the ball and drive in field on your stronger foot. And you want to go at people. You want to get in the half spaces. You want to be aggressive in those areas and you want to commit defenders. I think that Smith Rowe is far, far better uh, than most players in our squad at exposing those areas. I think he's movement is is really intelligent. I think he's really smart, really clever. And I think he's got a I don't want this to come across as as I'm being critical of others, but he he is someone, I think, with a superior football brain to the likes of Bukayo Saka, of Gabriel Martinelli, who can be a little bit, as much as I love him and I really do, can be a little bit slapdash at times and a little bit kind of... um, you know, like making it up as he goes along. I think Smith Rowe's movement is is a lot smarter. It's a lot cleverer. And I think he and and his guile and his trickery and his ability to cause problems in and around the penalty area is going to be key for Arsenal tomorrow. Also, what you've seen Arsenal do quite a bit recently against teams like this, which I think has been interesting, is when Smithrow, for example, is forced wide and kept wide. You've seen Kieran Tierney quite often make those runs from deep and into those half spaces as opposed to always looking to make the overlap. If you cast your mind back to earlier in the season, it was always the same pattern of play with Arsenal. It was 
the left winger cuts inside and Kieran Tierney goes on the outside. It was so predictable. And now Arsenal, I think, have a little bit more variety to their game. And we so often see now whoever's playing from the left-hand side maintaining a wide position and showing uh, a space for Kieran Tierney, a half space for Kieran Tierney to then get into and cause the opponent problems. So it's going to be really interesting to, to see that and see if Smith Rowe, which who we expect to probably come back into the team, is able to exploit Brentford in those spaces, break up that back five wherever possible and hopefully uh, contribute something for us. So just to repeat, uh, the team that I would like to see Mikel Arteta name to face Brentford at Emirates Stadium is Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Tomiyasu, of course, with the caveat of him being fit enough at right back. White and Gabriel are my two centre-backs with Tierney at left back. Xhaka and Partey is the midfield pivot that, in my opinion, picks itself. Martin Odegaard to play in front of them with Laka through the middle. Saka from the right and Smith Rowe from the left. You've got the likes of Nicolas Pepe to then come off of the bench and hopefully have some form of impact as well, if needed. So, yeah, um, look, somebody asked me today, if I'm feeling confident about this match. And it, it's really hard to feel massively confident because just because of the way the Premier League's gone this season, because of the conditions, I think they do play a big part here. And because of the fact that, as I said earlier on, as much as I sit and enjoy and, and actually find it quite amusing that Manchester United and Tottenham can so often produce these really abject, disappointing, frustrating performances, I know full well that my team can too. And that's my, um, you know, that's my reservation. That's the part of me that that can't say 100% I'm feeling confident. We should win, and I predict that we will. I, I said that it would be nice if we got a convincing win. I'm not sure it's going to be that at this stage. I'd take a, a scrappy 1-0 win just to get the points on the board. But, yeah, um, you know, I, how confident am I? I'm confident that we have everything that we need to win a game of football like this. We have all the tools in the toolbox. We have all the weapons in the armory. But the question is, are we going to go out there and produce on the day? You'd hope so. Um, but it's th there's no easy game in this league anymore. There really, really isn't. Even though Brentford are on a really disappointing and frustrating run of form. OK, if you're listening via the audio platforms, we are going to take a short pause for a message from our sponsor. OK, let's get some of your questions. Let's get some of your thoughts in the live chat box. Uh, get your questions in ahead of this one. And while you're doing that, I just want to quickly remind you that if you haven't hit the like button, please do so. We're, uh, we've got 53 likes on the board. We should have way more than that by now, given how many of you are watching. And we're still slowly crawling towards the 19,000 mark uh, in terms of subscribers on the YouTube channel. Uh, we'd love to get to 19,000 because then we can put that to one side and start focusing on getting up to 20K uh, ahead of the end of the season. So please do subscribe if you haven't done so already. Let me know if you're enjoying some of the short bits of content that we're putting up as well, um, sort of clips and snippets from some of my appearances on TalkSport 2. Um, so, yeah, let me know if you're enjoying those. And, of course, like, subscribe, you know the drill by now. OK, uh, let me see uh, what we've got. Uh, Riddy Sarkar says, uh, Harry, when will you get Elliot from Arsenal Vision on again? Anytime, man. I, I do need to message Elliot, to be fair, um, because we we all, every time we do speak, which isn't that often, um, we kind of say, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. And sometimes the diaries just don't match up and then 
we end up like not doing it and then there's no communication for a while. But it's not because I don't want Elliot on. I think he's fantastic. Arsenal vision is is up there. I I, I think it's probably, and this is no offence to any other Arsenal podcast, but I think it's probably the best one out there in terms of like the whole panel. And I really like it. Um, I'm a massive fan. I listen to it most weeks. Um, but yeah, I'll give him a shout. Uh, what else have we got? Um DMC Harper, Harry, will Arteta use Pepe? I don't think he'll start him um, in this game. If that's what you're asking me, I think that there is, um, you know, that there is a, there is a chance that, you know, he will play a part tomorrow. I think we, we need him um, to be available. We need him to be ready for action when called upon because, just signs that I know he, he was quite a threat at Wolves at certain points, but I just feel like Bukayo Saka is a little bit burnt out at the moment. I think we could do with refreshing that a little bit, even if not from the start of a game, but at some point in it for sure. Um, John Knott with an interesting question, which isn't in relation to this game, which is fine. You can ask whatever you want. Um, but But this is a really interesting conversation and discussion and debate that's been going on over social media in the last few days. And it's one that I've chipped in on before and actually taken a lot of flack for my view on this. He says, are Thierry Henry's top four comments skewed because of his association with Daniel Ek? I think that there is certainly a a conflict of interests. That's the way I'm going to put it. I don't think that Thierry Henry wishes badly on Arsenal. I don't think that Thierry Henry enjoys particularly seeing Arsenal where they are now. I don't think that Thierry Henry is wrong for having high standards based on where the club were. Um, You know, uh, when he was here and where they are now, you know, I I don't have a problem with Henry like finding it hard to get his head around that. I think it's an issue that we as fans have as well, but it's impossible to ignore the link with Daniel Ek when listening to him now. Because if you are somebody who's looking to purchase the club or part of a, uh, what's the word they use, consortium that is looking to purchase an asset or a business, you don't want to drive the value of that up, do you? It's already going to be impossible, in my view, for Daniel Ek, given his wealth in comparison to that of the Cronkies, to force them into a sale, to put them in a position where they look at the numbers and they go, bloody hell, these numbers are so good, so strong that we have to accept this offer, that we have to, um, you know, we, we, we have no choice. It would just be completely wrong from a business point of view to overlook and ignore this offer. So, Will he paint the club ever in a positive light? I think that there's a lot to be excited about right now. I think that we are moving in the right direction. I think we've adopted the right approach. Are we going to reap the rewards of that immediately? No. Um, it's going to take time, as I keep saying to you guys. But I do, you know, and listen, going back to, to Thierry Henry specifically, love the guy. We'll always love him for all the wonderful things he achieved at this football club and for what a fantastic player and guy he seems like he is as well. But although I value and respect his opinion, I'm always going to, at least while this Daniel Ek is supposedly interested, I'm always going to think that some of it, no matter how small a proportion, is to do with the fact that he is part of a consortium that wants to create a bit of anarchy, that wants to 
create this uprising that wants fans to be so disgruntled, frustrated and pissed off with the current ownership that they would do everything in their power to push for um, push for a sale, which then they can take advantage of. So, yeah, look, it, it's something that it, that conflict of interest is real. It exists. How much of it you place on what Thierry Henry is saying? Like, if you think what he's saying is 80% from the heart and 20% based on his, you know, connection with Daniel Ek, who wants to buy the club, then that's fair. If you think it's 50-50, that's fair. Me, I think it's probably around about a 70-30 split. I think 30% of it in my view, or roughly around that mark will be because of the conflict of interest. And, and so I still say the majority of it is coming from the right place and from the heart, but I don't know if he'd always be as vocal about it or always be as, um, as quite as forthcoming with it. If he wasn't um, in bed, let's say with Daniel Ek. Uh, Chris Carrick says, it was great to see you on TalkSport, but painful to hear you compare Spurs to Arsenal even if there are some good points to be made. Yeah, look, um, TalkSport is a general sports radio station, right? So there are going to be times where I don't talk about Arsenal. Um, to be fair to the guys, they always make a conscious effort to include Arsenal in the running order, even when we haven't played, even when we haven't done anything uh, to, to ex extract that out of me. But uh, yeah, we do have to talk about other stuff and other clubs. And the comparison, for those of you that haven't made it, um, that I made between Arsenal Spurs is that we're both or we've both been through, and we're, they're going through it now, a period where after we built a new stadium, which we felt was the new or, or the next step in our development as a football club, we then suffered from it financially. And we then found ourselves in a place where we had to uh, be more creative and smarter in the transfer market. And we couldn't go big always when we wanted. We lost players as a result of it. We had to trim squads down, et cetera, et cetera. I just think they're going through a lot of the same issues that we did shortly after we moved to the Emirates Stadium. And add, and for them, you know, you add the fact that the pandemic's come along, which means there's been no crowds and they've lost out on a load of non-football events that were due to take place there. You can see why they were a little bit reserved in January in comparison to what people thought they might be. Okay, um, Ollie keeps spamming this in the chat, says, Harry, you should do a collab with EXO McKenna. Uh, uh, you can talk Arsenal while she does renovation in the background. I don't know who that is. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Chris says, did you hear Paul Merson's comments that Kroenke cares more about investing in the stadium than the club and that he should spend the money on new players? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, about kind of Kroenke's preference for real estate investments. And obviously the Emirates is a bit of real estate, isn't it? But look, the, the stadium needs it, man. You know, it needs it. It's falling apart. Um, all right. It's not falling apart to the same degree as some of the other grounds. But when you consider how new it is in comparison to some of the other stadiums in the Premier League, it's not in a great state. You know, I'm there every week. I see it with my own eyes. The outside, for example, the legends uh, kind of... Um, design on the outside is faded it's been weathered it's it looks all over the place it looks 100 years old you go inside the stadium you know i've seen a couple of times when it's rained really heavily leaks from certain parts of the roof or, or drips that they need to deal with um so yeah there's uh there's stuff that that does need doing uh, alex akundi says do you think martinelli is going to start up top? well he's not going to play uh this weekend because of course he is suspended but there have been rumors and talks haven't there of late that um, 
Gabriel Martinelli has been preparing for that, that he has been uh, working in that position uh, sort of uh, during the last few weeks or so in training. Zeus says Pepe's link-up play is so poor that he won't be able to play up front because a few of you are suggesting uh, that he should be the guy to move up front because I know people are not too fond of Alexander Lacazette at the moment. Although even they didn't score at Watford, he played a massive part in the goal, didn't he? And that was... The, that was typical of Lacazette to be so aggressive and to be so committed and in a way that maybe Aubameyang wouldn't have. Uh, and, and obviously the goal came off the back of that. So I don't think Pepe will work up front either, but um, that's just my view. Abby Oden says uh, the manager picks the team because he knows their fitness levels, etc. Yeah, of course, man. But we can only talk about our opinions and... Um, you know, and, and our views, and, and that's my view. I think if Tomiyasu is 80% fit enough, he should be he should be starting for me because he's such a big upgrade on Cedric. Uh, Niasha says, uh, I don't think we appreciate how personable slash likable this team is now compared to last year. That's massive for me, Niasha. Um, for me, that's one of the reasons why I am so behind this team. Have I always seen uh, enough progress on the pitch? Probably not, but I, I am much more invested and much more engaged for those reasons that you state. This team is much more personable and much more likable. Okay, uh, let's see what else we've got in the chat. Um, Dave Karki says, I think Omri's comments are largely irrelevant. Going back to that, he's flogging a dead horse. Uh, Little Saint says, Harry, should we expect an injection of money now that Kroenke's Rams won the Super Bowl, I don't think so. I think the plan for Arsenal comprises of us spending again in the summer. I think we will spend again in the summer. I think we'll go out and bring in a couple of players of really, really high quality, hopefully, and we'll probably have to pay big fees for them. I think the money was always earmarked to be spent in the summer. I think that there was, a, as as you know, as Vinay's alluded to, I think there was a, a, a kind of a consideration as to whether we could speed up some of those plans for the summer and make some of those deals happen in January, but it just didn't work. So I do think there is money earmarked for the summer. Um, and I don't think that the Super Bowl victory for the Rams will have any uh, any sort of effect on that. Uh, Ian says, would you be surprised if we play exactly like we played against Wolves? Results can then go either way, a draw or win. Don't expect us to concede more than one, but we can score one. Um, I'd, I'd expect us to be better than we were uh, against um, against Wolves, I, I didn't think it was a great performance. I didn't think it was a, a convincing victory. Which certainly, you know, you win a game one 0 it's never convincing, and you're holding on the way we were at the end. It's never convincing. But I, I thought that although I was really pleased with the result, there was certainly a lot of room for improvement in terms of the performance, and we we didn't really get it. Uh, up there. So you'd hope that it will be better. And, and as you say, look, when you play the way we did at Wolves, then you're relying on fine margins and, and games will be determined by fine margins. And those fine margins will sometimes go your way and sometimes they won't. So I, I want to see a higher level of uh, performance because that, of course, increases the probability of victory. OK, let's take just a couple more Um from the chat box. Let's see uh, what else uh, you guys have got. Uh, Zebedee says, got to get them back for the opening day win, which was blown way out of proportion by the media. So I think it would be big. Yeah, it was blown out of proportion. When you consider how many players we had missing, 
when you considered that um you know that that we had covid cases and all the issues that we had and that this was Brentford's first ever game in the premier league well, they were certainly going to be up for it they were certainly going to be buzzing it was under the lights on a friday night london derby etc cetera, etc cetera. it was kind of like the perfect storm for brentford and and i said it at the time you know it's just because they'd just been promoted it didn't mean that that wasn't a tough game. That's probably one of the toughest fixtures you could have got on the opening day because of the buzz that would have been around them. It doesn't excuse the fact we lost. It doesn't excuse the performance, et cetera, et cetera. We, we all know that. Um, and then the fact that we then played Man City, who I don't think we ever had a hope in hell against, and then Chelsea, who I would say the same for, we ended up in a place where we played three, lost three, and everybody was kind of losing their minds and tearing their hair out. And and that whole thing is what blew it out of proportion. And also, look, if you, you rewind back to the post-match from Brentford and you look specifically at that time period, the fact that we had City and Chelsea coming up and everybody knew that obviously increased or, or you know, uh, amplified the negative reaction to the Brentford result. And I think, you know, obviously, again, as I always say, with hindsight, we have the benefit of looking back and seeing that. Okay, uh, we are, I think, going to leave it there because it is Friday night. I've got to put some fences back if the wind will allow me. Um, I haven't heard it swooshing as much since we've been live. Maybe it's just died down a little bit. Who knows? But yeah, um, going to leave it there. Appreciate you all tuning in. I'm going to finish up with a prediction. And that prediction is going to be my famous old result. The result I predicted for you guys against Wolves at Molyneux and was bang on. 1-0 to the Arsenal. That is my prediction for this one. Don't forget to hit that like button. If you haven't done so already, we're around about 18 away from our target. So please do hit that like button. And of course, subscribe to the channel if you are new. In terms of our poll, in which 232 of you have voted live during this show, 91% of you think Arsenal will win this fixture. 5% say draw and 4% say a Brentford win interesting. If you're interested in some of my Premier League commentaries over on Flashscore, you can catch me tomorrow for the early game between West Ham United and Newcastle United. So I'm live on that one. I'll post the link on the Twitter community page, but you can find it on the Flashscore app and in various other places. So for those of you that will be tuning in, I'll catch you then. For the rest of you, I'll catch you after uh, Arsenal versus Brentford a little bit later on early evening we'll jump on and we'll do a live stream to dissect whatever the hell happened uh, there so I'll catch you all very soon until next time goodbye you're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna the Arsenal podcast I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon